0: I was having breakfast at a Waffle House in Sherwood, Arkansas. And anybody who's ever been to a Waffle House understands that it's a special sort of place. And I'll just leave it at that. But I'm sitting there enjoying my omelet when Tuesday's Gone by Leonard Skinnerd came on the jukebox. And my waitress got super excited and started yelling to the people behind the grill, Turn it up! My Lonnie used to sing that to me before he went to prison! This is a way for me to share things with you guys without any filters whatsoever. My guest this week is Jay McDowell. Jay is the Multimedia Assistant Museum Exhibit Curator at the Musicians' Hall of Fame and Museum here in Nashville. You can find out everything you need to know about the Musicians' Hall of Fame at MusiciansHallofFame.com. I've been bugging Jay for a while about... Getting together and doing a show about Jimi Hendrix and the time that he spent in Nashville. A lot of people don't know about that, but uh he played the bars here in Nashville before he was famous. And Jay was nice enough to come on and tell us some stories. And we both got to talking afterwards, and we were both big fans of the book Becoming Jimi Hendrix by Stephen Roby and Brad Schreiber. And we both would like to recommend that book to anybody who enjoys this show. And please uh, think about stopping into the Musician's Hall of Fame and saying hi to Jay next time you're in Nashville. But Jay was nice enough to invite me over to the Musician's Hall of Fame is where we recorded this. And I always enjoy getting to see Jay and chat with him. And he shared some great stories. Here's Jay McDowell.
1: Well, I, I do say that often in the museum here that as, as we get into things and, you know, I'm just retelling stories that I've been told. I wasn't there. I don't claim to have been there. Uh, I love going around to these locations where the stuff happened and, uh, and kind of rooting around and, and meeting people who were there. But again, even, even you, when you dig up the people that were there, they have a story that may clash with what you read and, You know, you start realizing there's seven sides to every story. So Jimmy Hendrix was in the Northwest, around Seattle, and um, had some scrapes with the law. I I think the story, you know, one of the stories goes that he showed up in a stolen car more than a few times, and he didn't necessarily steal it, but he kept being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And eventually, uh, I guess a judge gave him the choice of going to jail or joining the army, and. That was the way it was presented to him, and he chose the Army. And he ended up in the 101st Airborne uh, at Fort Campbell. And uh, that, that was what brought him here. So Jimmy's in the 101st Airborne, and apparently Billy Cox, the story he told me was he went to a movie with some buddies while he was in the Army, and they saw The Sands of Iwo Jima with John Wayne, and they were laughing at all the things that they had wrong in the movie about the Army. As he put it, you know, this is obviously from 20 years ago, which is not that big of a leap, but when you're 20, that's, you know, they they couldn't relate, and they they were making fun of that movie. And he said that they left the movie and they came back to the base, and he heard guitar playing coming from an open window in one of the officers' clubs, and the guy that he was with that heard it, kinda of turned his nose up at it and, you know, said that that doesn't sound right. And, and Billy was drawn to it because it was weird. He said it was it was exotic and strange and, and it turned out to be Jimi Hendrix playing guitar. And so he went in the club and Jimmy said, Check out a bass and which I guess he could do with his military ID and he checked out a bass and, and they jammed and that's that was how they met So apparently uh in early '62, Jimmy was discharged. Just played around locally here. And I say locally, I think it was Clarksville. I don't think it was Nashville yet. I think it was in Clarksville. And, and then shortly after that, Billy finished his tour and, uh, uh, with the Army and was, was released. And that time, they started tapping into the, the circuit, you know, the Winchester, Manchester, Tullahoma, Murfreesboro, and, and playing in Nashville at the, the Del Morocco, I think, was the first club he said they started playing at. So that was, I think, one of their stops, basically when they were still in Clarksville. But Billy said they actually moved to Indianapolis for a brief spell. Not sure what led them there.
0: Jimi Hendrix lived Jimmy in Indianapolis. Hendrix and for... Billy
1: Cox lived in Indianapolis for a short while, and they said that they 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 weren't able to tap into the local. You know, they they realized that there were a couple clubs to play, but they they couldn't go all around.
0: I'm guessing that'd be down on Indiana Avenue. There was a really good jazz scene down yeah. there, but yeah,
1: it goes back to the Chitlin' Circuit where Denver Ferguson started, and that was his club was on Indiana, and uh, they talked about in that in that book the Chitlin' Circuit and the road to rock and roll. Uh, he talks about one end of the street was the hospital, and the other end of the street was the pawn shop, and some nights would start by pawning something and you'd end up in the hospital, you know, that that kind of old (laughs) adage, you know? So anyway, they, they were up in, in Indianapolis and for a brief spot and then came back to Clarksville and, and they realized they needed to plug back into that scene. He said just briefly, they came to Clarksville and then they realized they needed to be in Nashville. So they came to Nashville and they lived on Jefferson street right near where the Del Morocco was. He said there was like eight clubs right on that stretch of road that, that, that had music all, you know, all the time. And they, yeah. they felt like that was a, a hot spot to be in, to be as their kind of headquarters. And
0: There's a lot of great pictures online if yeah. uh, people want to look it up, but there's pictures of Roy Campanella yeah. and uh, Jackie Robinson sitting at the Del Morocco club, you know, listening to music. I'd, heur- I'd heard a lot of really strange stories about when they lived. Uh, Joyce's. Yeah. Joyce's house of glamour. Yeah. Was that the beauty shop there?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So they, they rented a place. Again, I, I, I'm going by Billy Cox's stories, but Billy talks about them renting the place above Joy's House of Glamour. But he also talks about going and knocking on Hendrix's door to get him, and like maybe they had two separate rooms. Maybe it could have just been his bedroom, I, you know. But he, he, there, there's times in the stories where I, I think it—it it sounds like they had two separate units, maybe. But and I do know that Jimmy had a girl living with him for a while, so they, they probably were separated, you know. Anyway, Joyce. Joyce's House of Glamour, uh, was there and they, but they would play those clubs and there, there was the Del Morocco club and then the new era club and the club baron uh being, being all right around that little area and the new era club, uh, Etta James did a live album there that came out that, that you can still hear. And, and that was recorded at the new era. And then of course the, the Jolly Roger, they, they played on uh, printer's alley here in Nashville. But, um, he talks about playing the Del Morocco, Billy that is, talks about getting paid room and board and 35 to $40 a week. But again, not only them being the house band at, at these clubs, but, but they would back the guys that would come through. So that's where they would talk about having the experience of packing of Wilson Pickett or Hank Ballard or Ike and Tina Turner coming through. And, and after, after a while, especially if they would play with him one time, they would the next time those acts would come through they request the king casuals which was their band to to be their band and one of billy's favorite stories is is talking about sam cook and jackie wilson coming through town and it was the first time they they hadn't backed them before and apparently they had set up uh, another local band to play with them and they got there and it just wasn't happening and and the king casuals were there to watch the show and before they realized that they were they were up playing and what you said was, you know, took a lot of nerve, but they
0: ended up doing it. Were they invited up or did they stage crash? or I,
1: I don't know. I don't know. He, it sounded, it sounded awkward. <laughs> Every time I've heard him tell the story, it's, it's always, it's, it doesn't sound, uh, it, it always makes me wonder. Yeah. You know, I'd love to hear the perspective of the band that they replaced, <laughs> but they were saying how, how Sam Cooke, you know, was loving it because they knew all those songs. They'd been playing those songs, you know, their, their current hits in, in their shows and, and, uh, and and Jackie Wilson as well, and then then they you know requested them the next time they came through town to be their band, and and they got to do that. And of course, everybody talks about Hendrix playing with Little Richard and the Isley Brothers, and uh, those are get a lot more mentions. But apparently, that was they were they were backing a lot of those guys. Billy talks about being a kid in West Virginia, listening secretly to WLAC because his parents didn't approve of that And late nights they'd play the black music and he he was able to hear this stuff and then later as he met Jimi hendrix finding out that in seattle hendrix had been listening to wlac and it wasn't always a clear signal and you know as far out in seattle but but say you know saying the, those stories of hearing you know the, verse in a chorus of a song and then the signal would die and <laughs> hoping it would come back before the song ended and, and that kind of thing. But, but they, they bonded on that, that they had both listened to this station and then they ended up in Nashville. And Haas uh, Allen uh, actually hired them to back in some recordings, uh, Billy and, and Jimmy, to, to uh, go in the studio. And I guess the role he wanted out of the guitar player was just, just play rhythm. And Jimmy started doing Jimi Hendrix stuff, and <laughs> and Haas warned him and said said No, I need you to just just play the chords, just play the rhythm." So went to Billy and said, "You know, you got to tell your buddy to calm it down because it's not you know it's not happening." And Billy says, "You know, I, he's Jimmy Hendrix, like you know, he's going to do what he does." <laughs> so Haas Allen uh, uh, stripped Hendrix from the recording, and it's not you know so. And as later, Haas Allen would laugh about that—that that if I just had kept those tapes, you know, I would have had the first recordings of Jimi Hendrix. But for what I needed that day, it wasn't happening, and so I ended up erasing him from that Do You know,
0: do you know who the artist was.
1: Nobody, nobody can remember. Nobody, Billy doesn't know, and, and Haas didn't. so billy cox and leonard moses and Jimi hendrix um, they were kind of the core of the king casuals and and leonard moses ended up working at the airport here in nashville and he's passed on now but uh for for years he was he would greet you at the curb and take your luggage and uh and uh those guys were uh of course interested in the civil rights stuff the lunch counter sit-ins and it was all happening downtown in Nashville here and Woolworth's was uh, had a lunch counter and they weren't serving blacks. And, uh, so people started protesting and, and showing up and, uh, they talked about the weekends, how it would bubble up and Billy and Jimmy would go down and, and watch. And, and, uh, uh, Billy talks about also, uh, uh, certain times if there was, uh, if there was a, a big show coming through or even a popular movie happening, sometimes that would that would quell the riots because people weren't downtown looking for something to do. They were busy doing their stuff. But Jimmy and Billy ended up uh, going down and, and then ultimately uh, got involved and, and I guess set in where they weren't supposed to sit and, and got arrested for it. And I can't tell you where it was. I don't know where,
0: where that event happened. Do you know? No, I don't. I was going to ask if that was at the Woolworths. I don't
1: I don't know. I mean, that was the epicenter of it all. The Woolworths, they're, they're on Fifth Avenue, which is like a block from where we're sitting right this very moment. But Yeah, uh, there's a
0: Dollar General on the spot mm-hmm. right now if anybody's a tourist and wants to, to mm-hmm. look for that.
1: Yeah, it's, it's so unassuming now to realize what history happened. When you're walking past it, it's a Dollar General store. It looks like every other Dollar General store. And even, you know, I've walked in it just because of where it's at and there's you would never know that all that stuff happened right there
0: and the photos online will just rip your heart out when you see
1: yeah the people sitting there and and the i don't know what you call the protesters of the protesters but the people dumping food on them and you know pouring milkshakes on their heads and and they sat there and and kept the cool and and that was the beauty of it they didn't fight back and and uh
0: I'd read that people would stop in and uh, be trained in nonviolent uh, protest or civil disobedience at Fisk and then head down to Selma, Alabama and places like right, that.
1: Right, right. So the reinforcement that you know, this is what we need to do to be on the same page. And, you know, you know, right.
0: In researching this, I stumbled across a lot of strange facts, or over the years I would hear things that are supposedly facts. I have no idea how true they are. So maybe... If you can... uh, That's a good disclaimer. Yeah, I have no idea, but they're fun, so maybe you can help me out here. When Billy and Jimmy were living above Joyce's House of Glamour there next to the Del Morocco on Jefferson Street, I'd heard that Jimmy came downstairs to get his hair done, and that's where he first met Aretha Franklin and Edda James.
1: I have heard that. I've heard that story, but I couldn't add to it, but I have heard that, yeah.
0: All right. I've also heard that in that apartment that Billy and Jimmy had a pet monkey.
1: <laughs> this is one I'm anxious to ask Billy about because I don't, I don't know about that one. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him.
0: I've also heard that he bought his first Stratocaster across the street from Fido's at the guitar store that just got replaced oh, by uh, a condo Cotton, recently. Cotton
1: Music, maybe?
0: Do you know anything about that? I
1: don't, I don't. But I, I know that he... I do know that that the early pictures of him here in Nashville he's playing... Like an Epiphone, and and then then you see him with maybe a jazz master and and again none none of those could have belonged to him. He, they could all be borrowed, but but then then you see him with the Strat, and it's kind of like once you see him with the Strat, you don't see him with anything else. Then then obviously at times he played other guitars, and you know that. You know, as I'm thinking about it, as I say it, sure I I can picture him with an S G or a flying V or, you know, different photos through the years. But but for the most part in the Nashville pictures, right, when you see it once once he has a strat, it's it seems like that's it. And uh and so it would stand to reason that he got it here. I I, I don't know. That that would be one to, to try that's, to chase down.
0: That's one I've heard from a lot of uh friends, old timers around Nashville, is that um cotton music was where he forgot yeah, his first strat. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and there's the famous quote that we always uh, talk about in the the LA Times Free Press, the LA Free Press, where Hendrix is quoted as saying that Nashville's where he really learned to play guitar. Billy Cox speaks of of Jimmy kind of... Being a pain that he had the guitar with him everywhere they went, and it's one thing if you're walking down the street and you're and he's playing, you know, without being plugged in, but plinking on his guitar. He said it was another thing when you go into a movie theater to watch a movie and your buddy has a guitar and he's playing, <laughs> and people around you are getting uptight about it. And uh, but but that was what made him so good. He was always playing guitar and always working on it. So that's that's another thing I'm I'm always you know looking at that from. The side of, like, when I go to a movie, yeah, I don't want some kid playing a guitar in front of me.
0: <laughs> I thought texting was bad.
1: Right. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We, we don't realize how good we have it, actually. So, yeah, so so Jimmy leaves Nashville, goes on the road, and at one point he came back, and Little Richard's band needed a bass player. And so Jimmy said, I know the guy. Let's Let's go get him. And they came to Nashville, and... Billy tells the story of the bus pulls up and Billy was on his porch. And that's another thing they talk about. And everybody on Jefferson Street there, they didn't have air conditioning. So the most people sat on their porch and a lot of them played guitar. So so Jimmy was always kind of walking down the street with his guitar and would jam with people along the way. And, and uh, Billy's on his porch, the bus pulls up, Jimmy jumps out, little Richard jumps out, says, come on, we need you. And Billy said, I he says, I... I hawked my bass amp. I don't even have an amp and you know, I'm just times are hard. I can't I can't go and and so uh so he turned down the gig and and so they they tried to talk him into it but Billy and I'm sorry, Jimmy and little Richard got back on the bus and drove away and and uh and so with that in mind, Billy kind of kind of looked at it like, you know, it'll never happen for me. You know, I I'm never it's never going to happen fast forward jimmy goes to new york he gets discovered he goes to england and and has the success with the experience and everything and then as as the experience was involved in lawsuits or something there was something where jimmy was his hands were kind of tied and and he needed to just start over and and that's when he came back to billy and and reached out to him and buddy miles and they ended up doing woodstock was the first gig that he that he took and he and like you say Going from playing to 200 people in a little club on Jefferson Street and fast forward to playing to 200,000 people at Woodstock. And you're right, mostly white kids. And uh, a major adjustment to make, he says. <laughs> the other thing about Billy Cox is he went on after Jimmy and actually was in the Charlie Daniels band for a couple of years. Played bass with him. Uh, I think he did two albums with him and uh, not sure what led to him getting out of that, but but he's still in Nashville and, and still plays and, and doing well and inducted into the Musicians' Hall of Fame. One of the most popular exhibits we have at the Musicians' Hall of Fame is uh, one of Jimi Hendrix's Stratocasters. And when he was in New York City, uh, he went to Manny's. He, he had had success by this time and had ordered ten strats i'm throwing that number out there but a big batch of strats and uh one of his roadies who had previously worked for the animals but because of the Chaz chandler connection with the Jimi hendrix experience um was working with hendrix uh asked for one of the guitars and jimmy gave it to him and so his name is james tappy wright tappy being his nickname and uh he was right-handed, so he restrung it right-handed, but he didn't change the intonation. It's still intonated for a left-hander, uh, but he switched the nut. Had had somebody switch the nut, I'm assuming, and uh, so right now the the we leave the instruments like we get them. So it's strung right-handed and uh, still intonated lefty, but uh, in its in its display, that's that's the first comment you get from people is that's a right-handed guitar. That's not Jimi Hendrix's guitar, but uh, it's one of the one of the guitars that's, you know, the serial number is documented in the, through the experience Hendrix. We have a pair of Mitch Mitchell's drum sticks, uh, related to Hendrix. Um, so we have the actual interior of the Jolly Roger club, which was on printer's alley and it's condos now, but, uh, when they were gutting it and tearing it out, Joe chambers who owns the museum just started rooting around in there and and asking the, the construction crew. What are you going to do with this? And they're, and they're like, we're hauling it away. And he said, Can I haul it away? And they said, Sure. And I, you know, I think it took it took it off of their plates. And so he, he got the all the wood and all the the doors and the the beams and everything. And, and we've reconstructed that. And that'll be on display in the museum um, here in the next couple months.
0: That's so beautiful that Joe took the time to yeah preserve that. Absolutely.
1: Now we call it the Hendrix stage because that's you know there's a famous picture of those guys playing on that stage. But it's countless others, you know, people have played on in that stage through the years. And, uh, I would love to know more who played there through the years, but, uh, you know, we, we do have certain pictures of, uh, Charlie McCoy and the escorts were a house band there for a while. And he's, uh, we got pictures of him on that stage and, and, uh, Adrian Ballou got the Frank Zappa gig because he was playing in Printer's Alley, and Zappa came through after a show one night and, and heard Adrian Ballou playing, and that's how he got the gig. And uh, so things like that happen, and that, that, you know, just the fact that there's music every night of the week down there, and sometimes in the daytime, too. But
0: I love hearing those things that you would never even think had anything to do with Nashville.
1: Yeah. 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 And that was early, like in 1970, 71, something in that. I'm guessing but it would have been in that time frame that because Adrian Blue ended up with the Baby Snakes movie and he tells the story of, of Zappa coming through Nashville and that's where he lived and, and Adrian's got a lot of Nashville connections but uh, when he wasn't on the road he would come to Roberts when we played down there and, and was always in the audience and tipped us well and I would end up going to Jackson Eaton with him and his wife and, and he, as he would say you know, he, he'd be like yeah people wouldn't suspect that I love old country music but I love it all I love it all He's awesome There's a great book called Becoming Jimi Hendrix by Brad Schreiber and Steve Ruby uh, that if you know if you really want to dig into this stuff they they've really put a lot of research into it and it's worth
0: It really doing. is great. I looked through that to find a lot of the oh, good. stuff when I was researching this.
1: The house they lived in above Joyce Joyce's House of Glamour had to be bulldozed for uh, on-ramp for the highway. So the spot where they lived is vacant. It's just a you know there's a there's an on-ramp above it but uh you can still kind of get a sense of what was happening on that street there's, there's really like one existing club there but at the time they moved here they talked about how there were seven or eight functional uh you know of varying uh qualities but but they had music all the time and, and that was a, a real happening scene and uh I do know of people that come to town and, and go to that spot to check it out, you know, and, and kind of hang out. And, um, and again, like any city, I guess with that kind of history to it, the the people just live in their day-to-day lives wouldn't understand why somebody's coming from out of town to see it. But.
0: When they built interstate 40, they eminent domained everything through there and just tore it all down. So 40 kind of goes right over where the Del Morocco was. And, uh, it's kind of timely discussion since we're we face these things in Nashville every day with it booming and us losing historic places so it's nice to to bring up the spots that we've already lost
1: yeah absolutely the 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 constant fight you know you you want your city to grow and you want things to advance and you have to pay attention to the history and and know these amazing things that happened here and and you know some people have the the look at it like hey that's that was just 40 years ago or you know that's not that long ago the, you know it's not you know there's the the growth is more important and and uh but you know to to us music nerds that grew up loving the stuff it's it's hard to see that stuff go away and and it's hard you know again uh some people will say well it's just the building it's the people that had the stories and it's you know the, the people that are important but they're going too and you know and we can save the buildings we can't save the people always it has been kind of hard to swallow here in nashville lately um i know it's business and i want people to be able to do their business but it's uh it's hard to see some of these buildings disappear i
0: appreciate you taking the time to chat with me jay
1: thanks otis it's always a pleasure
0: it's great to see you again you too i can't wait to go walk around the museum yeah man some stuff I'd like to thank everybody for listening in and I'd like to thank Jay for inviting me over to the Musicians Hall of Fame and Museum. You can find out everything you need to know about the Musicians Hall of Fame at musicianshallofame.com. If you'd like to help support this show, just go to OtisGibbs.com and you can pick up a CD, a t-shirt, you can download any record I've ever made, you can buy one of my photographic prints, you can buy one of Amy's records, you can buy one of Amy's children's books, but anything that you buy... We'll mail from our living room to yours, and we'll even put in a little thank you note. If you'd like to help out, but you're a little short on cash, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Leave a comment. Subscribe while you're there, and you'll get a brand new episode free every two weeks. But if you enjoy this show, or you enjoy my music, or you enjoy Amy's music, please take the time to tell a friend and help us spread the word. And if you'd like to send us a message, we'd love to hear from you. Send it to info at otisgibbs.com. I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.